in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. All right, good Friday, Jay Sandos. This is my favorite Friday because it is a Friday before an ETSU Chattanooga game. And I really don't care what the game is as long as it involves ETSU. As long as it involves Chattanooga, you know I'm going to be there. I'm going to be hating on Chad. I openly admit that. Is it a personality flaw? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, probably me hoping that every road team beats every home team that uh, – is ever involved in a game that's not ETSU, obviously just want them to win every game, is probably a personality flaw. Me being Chattanooga, I think it's just what you're supposed to do in life. But, you know, people find it different. Uh, Mike Gallagher over to my right. He's going to help me through today's show, probably carry most of today's show, because we have SOCON women's basketball preview. Then we'll preview the ETSU said Chattanooga basketball game. That will be tomorrow, 2 p.m., pregame show, 1.30 on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Mike Gallagher on the call down in Chattanooga in the Roundhouse, McKenzie Arena, if you will. And then bold predictions, where I'm probably going to pick ETSU to win by a lot, as I always do against Chattanooga. But uh, at least had, I'm consistent. I thought you had to talk up Chattanooga. Isn't the reverse psychology? Oh, yes. Still a, oh, yeah. Well, we'll get there. Now. Well, we'll get there. We're going to do the preview. We'll do the preview show. We'll do the preview show. The strategy has done well. Okay. We'll do the preview show. Okay. We'll, see, we'll see what I do there. All right. So, Con Women's Basketball Preview. Do you want to go? or what, 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 what do you do? What do you got? So, I think much like you meant, I'd like to go over my preseason okay. poll. The personal Mike Gallagher poll, guys. Yes, because that will gain some kind thoughts. of vision, sure. thoughts, reasoning behind uh, everything in my SoCon women's basketball world when you hear the poll because it is much different than what we saw from the coaches' poll. The coaches' poll, and this is how we're going to present our preview as we did with the men's basketball uh, preseason look around. I think that was the 29th of December. If you want to go back, Santos and the sidekick, I think it was titled like Men's Basketball Ultra Mega Super Preview Edition in the Southern Conference. You can go back and find that. It was like two or three shows ago. Um, lots and lots of information. I think we went on for a good hour and ten minutes or something like that. The coaches' poll went Mercer, Chattanooga, Sanford. Wait a second. Hold on. Is that right? Yeah. Mercer, Chattanooga, Sanford, Furman, UNCG, Wofford, ETSU, Western Carolina. You're going to hear some discrepancies in mine. And feel free. I know you did not vote in the preseason poll on the women's side because you don't do play-by-play on radio, not as in tune with the league perhaps. But you are doing now ESPN play-by-play for the women. So perhaps I should have sent you a ballot because I think that was my job. So sorry if that slipped through the cracks. Uh, Chattanooga, I had number one. Feel pretty good about that right now. I never feel good about Chattanooga being number one. I want to put that disclaimer in there because I'm sitting next to the biggest Chattanooga hater in the entire state of Tennessee, and I don't want you to jump over the six feet that we are apart and strangle me before I can get the rest of the poll out. Mercer, number two, ETSU, number three. Call me a homer. If you're listening around the conference and you've seen the results of this year or you are someone that doesn't tend to think the same way I do, and there were not many that thought the same way I did. Um, This is the Aston ETSU podcast, but I think I'm about as unbiased as anybody around when it comes to um, my teams, quote-unquote. Now, I'm also paid a little bit to be an ETSU backer. So there is part of that in there, but I don't think that affected my vote. Um, I looked around the league, did a lot of research before we got to the coaches' poll about, you know, what, a month before the season, coaches' poll, media poll, and I tend to think that ETSU had a lot back. Shania Jackson, Lee Stafford, Amaya Adams, Kai Upton, four of your five starters. If you look around the rest of the league, there are very few teams that brought – a lot, if anything, back in terms of contributing players. And one of the teams that did, UNCG with Aja Boyd, she gets injured, and all of a sudden they lose to a D2 and a D3, which is where you'll find UNCG in my poll right below Sanford. So Sanford 4, UNCG 5, Furman 6, Wofford 7, Western Carolina 8. UNCG, as I said, didn't have a lot back in the first place, right? Nadine Solomon, all-time leading scorer, gone. Tasia Twitty, gone. Uh, Aja Boyd now injured. Didn't know that, but really the only reason that I had them five, despite them being 
co-regular season champions last year uh, was because of Aja Boyd. So it's not surprised to see them struggle. Uh, Wofford, they lose Chloe Wanick, so there's the big slide there. They lose a couple of other players, uh, including um, to transfer uh, Deja Green to Virginia Tech. I mean, that's a heck of a player if you're going to a Power 5 program. Someone that I really enjoyed watching last year when the Bucs uh, would play uh, the Terriers. Not so much when she would go off the way she tended to, but really talented player. So you lose her and Wanik, you go all the way down to seven. Furman lost pieces as well, so they slide to six. At Western Carolina, obviously a lot of work to do. So I still think, and Bucks are, you know, two and five going into this game against Chattanooga, which we'll preview in our next segment, but I still think that my poll looks pretty good. Um, Sanford and Furman, I think, are the two teams that could slot above ETSU right now if you're looking objectively around the league. Um, and we'll go through it in depth here in a couple of moments. But truly, I think with the way that the Bucks are starting to gel on offense, Davidson, Appalachian State, and then the Newberry game, yes, Newberry Division Two, but even against Davidson and Appalachian State, quality competition. Davidson on the road, an ATEM program. Appalachian State, the rivalry there, looked to be improved this year from kind of a down year last year. Um, I still think ETSU could be third, fourth, right in that area. And right now, Chattanooga and Mercer look like the class of the league to me. Let's go over it. Mercer last year, 9-22, 4-10 in the Southern Conference, lost to number three UNCG by two in overtime in the league semis. The big three is back. And, again, a lot of what I voted on this year, who is back? doing that research and just to be quite honest not a lot of media that vote in the media poll do a lot of research they look at the standings last year they regurgitate it if you look at mercer you don't have to go too far to find shannon titus jaron doherty amoria neil tyser they finished the year with just 10 on the roster last year though after jordan mclaughlin and tia benvenuti didn't finish the year with the team meaning only 16 points per game outside of titus doherty and neil tyser finished the season with the bears Summer Paul, fifth on the team in starts last year, and third in rebounding is gone. Jill Harris, starting point guard, is back. But Georgia State transfer Jada Lewis has actually started seven of the nine games so far in her spot. Another transfer is the tallest player in the league this year, six foot six, Naomi Van Ness, who was at North Carolina her previous four years, did not play last year because of injury. She's the other starter in the Bears. Only losses are by less than 20 to Georgia, Clemson, and Alabama. I see Mercer at the top of my poll right now. I think they're right around the top of the league, considering results, who they brought in, and who they have back with those big three. No question the three losses they have are to Power 5 schools. Uh, Georgia beat them pretty handily, was in the game at Clemson, and then um, <clears throat> lost to Alabama uh, by 17. And I think what they return, I think what they've built over the last uh, last year probably being the outlier year from, from where they've been, and just getting the quality of minutes returned, right? I think it's it's easy to look at that. But the number that jumps out to me, they're shooting 74.5% from the free throw line, 42% from the floor, 31% from beyond the arc. Their defense lead the league in field goal percentage defense, just giving up 34%. 23% from beyond the arc, they're giving up. Now, they are fouling, but some of those – and I, I was trying to do the quick math, but they're like negative 40 from the free throw line against the power five. So if you take that out, they're pretty close in free throws attempted. Block shots uh, and steals is where they've made their bread and butter. Considering they played power th- uh, five teams, three of them, they've still got 50 block shots compared to just 12 of their shots being blocked. And they've got 89 steals on the season. So I think the 72 points per game they're, they're scoring, just giving up 57 points, I think, you know, it'd be tough to argue against them right now considering the results that have happened to this point. I think by far they are the favorites moving in with the balance of four players and double figures. They're tough to stop. They can beat you in different ways. If you foul them, you, they make you pay. Rebound, block shot steals on the defensive side. Field goal percentage defense I've already mentioned. I, I mean, it's hard to find where they are lacking at this point in time. And I think looking at the men's side, you've got Isaiah Miller as the best player in the league, right? I have a hard time voting against the best player in the league. Shannon Titus is the preseason player of the year. She is the one that leads much like Isaiah Miller. Any press they're going to try and do, she's going to be at the top of it, long, athletic. She can score, but mainly she makes her living defensively. They're number two in my poll, number one in the coach's poll, and the big reason I think is Shannon Titus. You're looking at the 26. I mean, if for ETSU fans, the closest comparison I can give you is Letitia Belcher because she led the team in steals and block shots and was right there in the rebounding category and could score over a 1,000-point score. You look at the numbers for uh, Titus, 26 steals leads the team by 11 steals, 16 blocks, not even close uh, anybody else. She's averaging 6.7 rebounds, which is only second to Jerron uh, Doherty. And then you look at 
the scoring numbers, you know, 11 points per game. She's shooting 42% from the floor. She's the worst free throw shooter at 58%. Maybe that's the – if you wanted to find a knock, and you really have to go down a list to find the knock, but the closest comparison I can give you is what Letitia Belcher did for ETSU. I think she's clearly the motor that makes the engine go. Chattanooga, number two in the coaches' poll, number one in my poll, 11 and 18 overall, 10 and four in the Southern Conference. Remember, they had that horrible non-conference, 1-14, but then won 10 games in the league. As the number two seed, though, lost by eight to Mercer in the first round. Only lost Lakeland Bolden and Nakia Burks. Both starters combined for 72 minutes per game. So, obviously, you talk about the quality of minutes with Mercer. The quality of minutes very high with those two, but the only two from last year's team that are gone outside of their starting five last year, they had only four other starts. So, they were very healthy. There was one for Dina Geralds, one for uh, Rona Uusiaba, two for Pare Pene. Uh, though all three of those young women are coming off the bench this year, their top returners, Ebony Williams, Bria Dial, Abby Cornelius, and it's really not close. Those three, very quality, joined in the starting lineup so far by Sigrun Olofstadter and Amaria Pugh. As we said, 10 of the 12 that played are back. Three of the top four scorers in Dial, Williams, Cornelius. And while it was a rocky start, they said 5-4 and four after pre-holiday wins over Georgia Southern, Georgia State down in Atlanta. Uh, and a 13-point road win at North Alabama. One of the impressive things I think about Chattanooga so far, and this is something we'll talk about. We don't have to go in-depth on them right now because we will next segment, but they have not played any non-Division ones. So you're looking at their record and across men's basketball in the Southern Conference and across a lot of women's basketball. Heck, I mean, to this point in the year, I would guess, especially in this year that it's been, that like 70 or 80% of Division One teams out there have probably played a non-D1. You look at their 5-4, and four and it is a true 5-4. and four. No non-Division One wins. No one they just scheduled to try and get an easy W, just get some games in. Their schedule's been able to stay intact, and that makes that 5-4 and four that much more impressive. No, and, and I think getting the confidence of what they did last year. And I, usually I would say, well, they won 14, but then they won 10 games. And you can easily see, and we'll get into this a lot more, so it'll be very short, but basically the three wins going into conference play, you can see where it's an easy spin to get them in the right direction and how their thought process will go into league play. Ebony Williams is one of the best players, bar none, in the league. She's having a monster season so far. We'll get into that a little bit more because I think, obviously, that's a key for ETSU defensively, and they've been able a couple games to kind of keep her in check. It still hasn't led to um, a buck win, but we'll go over some of that a little bit later on. But I think, clearly, if I was to pick a number two behind Mercer, I think you're right on it with uh, Chattanooga right now. Chattanooga has played the same five in every game this year. Mercer's been very healthy. That's the theme of the top two, and health starts to fall off around the conference as you go down this preseason coaches poll. Number three was Sanford at 19-13 and 13 last year, 10-4 and four in the SOCON. They won the conference postseason title 59-54 to behind Natalie Armstrong, scoring five in the final 77 seconds to turn a two-point deficit to a three-point lead, ultimately a five-point win. First team, all-conference player Sarah Myers, who transferred in from Maryland, helped the Bulldogs share the conference regular season and win the conference postseason title, gone. Uh, Charity Brown, great point guard, led the league in assists, gone. Lose a third starter in Paige Surup, who was the unsung hero of that starting five. Natalie Armstrong is back, so is Shante Battle, but Battle was lost to injury a few weeks ago. Sounds like it could be serious. That would be a huge blow if she has to miss some or all of the conference season. They already needed her to do more, especially beyond the arc, as Myers, Brown, and Syrup were the only ones to take more than 100 threes last year. The interesting thing was this offseason, and this is just unique to this year, could they capitalize on their title in terms of recruiting, going down that route with a pandemic going on, tougher than a normal year? They did bring in Annie Rammel from Binghamton and Andrea Cornoyer from Louisiana Lafayette, both starters. Cornoyer missed the first few games of the season with injury, but has worked her way back in. Seldom used sharpshooter Raven Omar has moved into the starting lineup, but it's kind of a start by committee now with battle out. Nine different players have started so far, and a difficult non-conference has been highlighted by four losses to SEC teams and just one Division One win to show so far, that being against North Alabama. My question to you, Jay Sandoz, could this, we talked about Chattanooga's non-conference last year, could this Sanford team be the Chattanooga of this year? Bad non-conference great in the league, or if Shantae Battle misses significant time, is that the death blow? I don't know if it's a death blow, but it, it's definitely an uphill battle. It's definitely, you know, 75%, 80% chance of, of a death blow, if you will. So I, I think the, the biggest thing for Sanford, you look at the shooting numbers from a year ago to this year, 
And the, the way they run sort of that hybrid Princeton offense, right? A lot of back cuts set up, and, and so you got to pick your poison. Do you let them try to get the ball inside? Do you make them shoot threes? If they shoot threes, they get a five. So it's been a little bit, and they're still not shooting horrific from beyond the arc. I mean, the 35% from three, I just think the continuity issues, some of the newness, again, injuries, things that go. If battle's not back, that's, it's definitely an uphill uh, battle, if you will. Sorry, didn't mean to make a pun there, but I – I think sometimes you're one you can come in and kind of catch lightning in a bottle, and I think, you know, maybe Coach Coons did that last year, and I think this is going to be a little bit difficult. I think they're going to be more middle of the pack, if I were to guess. If Battle is back, maybe upper pack, but I I have them, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh uh, right now, and where, where if things continue to go, where they go. Furman 19 and 12 last year, 8 and 6 in the SoCon, tied for fourth, beaten by 30 in the SoCon semis by Sanford. All SoCon second teamer Leje Davidson is gone. So is third leading scorer Taylor Petty and point guard Milica Manolovich. All starters, all freshman team honoree Lindsey Taylor also gone. She seemed like she would be someone to slide right in and take some of the load off of the returners being all freshmen, but uh, not the case. She's also gone. All SoCon second teamer Tierra Hodges is back and second in the league in scoring. He's averaging a double-double at, last time I checked, 18 and 10. Selena Taborn, who played more than 20 minutes in uh, 12 of the last, or I should say less than 20 minutes, in 12 of the last 14 games last season. Remember talking about that with you late on in the season as her minutes kind of dwindled. She did shoot 67% from the field. She is back. Who will play in the backcourt? That was the big issue coming into the year. Who is going to play in that backcourt with Manolovich, Petty, Davidson gone? Their main returners are Taborn, six foot three. Grace Van Rye, who started 10 games last year at six foot two, Hodges, who led the league in rebounding at just five foot nine, but you can see she's more of a front court player as well just by looking at her stats. No other returner played more than 10 minutes per game. So you've got Tabor and Grace Van Rye and Hodges, and then essentially you were looking at a, your guess is as good as mine, of who's going to play in the backcourt. Jaria Outen was one of those that played here and there last season. And she was starting until suffering an injury a few games ago. Her status for conference play, from what I understand, is uncertain. That means more will be on the newcomers. And they already had Periskevi Koila and Tate Walters, both true freshmen, starting. Now with Outen sideline, they have to go deeper into their bench. The first couple of games without Outen in it, it was Sydney James, another true freshman, starting. But she didn't play last game against Queens. So then it's Taya Hunter stepping in. You have to feel like a, a roster with eight freshmen three of which have been starting, is going to struggle in league play, a struggle what it's been so far in non-league play, three and five, with just one Division One win, and especially as we talked about, Jay, in this year, when you've got eight freshmen who are stepping into a completely new situation, you then have to deal with an injury, and there's more asked of those newcomers, freshmen, first years. You haven't had as much time as usual to play in the non-conference, to figure each other out. And now, as you talked about an uphill battle, this is going to be a real struggle, I think, in conference play for Furman as they're down a lot from last year and then even more on the roster this year. I think we were confused last year. I'm still confused on how Taborn's fallen out of favor in general. Just looking at the numbers, I will say, though, um, being around and spent a a little bit of time in the Ocala area and and knowing a a lot about the schools down in Gainesville, Ocala's where I knew a lot about Courtney Moore when she came in. Uh, same token about Sydney James. I'm excited to see her, uh, an Ocala native, and she's come in as a freshman and, and got a couple of loose starts, 11 points, very good free throw shooter. Uh, the field goal percentage number probably a little down. From was just strange that she didn't play last game either. And that's, and that's what that I was going to ask you. I didn't know, you know, because to me, if she is out considering some of the strides for a while, I think that makes uh, Jackie Carson's uh, job a little different. And I love Jackie. I've known her since – she played in the Southern Conference back uh, when I was in school and finishing up school. And so, known her for a while. I think she's had a hard time sort of getting over hump. She always has solid teams. Not great, hardly ever subpar, just not that extra level. Um, and I don't know why, because she was a heck of a player in her day. Seems like you're guaranteed 8-6, and 9-5. I, I was going to say, again, it, it seems like she was – with, with all forgiveness to the last two years of Tennessee Titans, she's the Tennessee Titans of everything. Just always eight and eight. It just seems like that's it. And so she's going to be, you know, seven and seven, eight and six, six and eight, something in that frame. And so I kind of feel like that's where they're going to be again. The freshmen, you know, you can live by some freshmen and they can grow up real quickly and they could turn into it. I'm going to go with history for them. 
and they're going to be a middle of the road Southern Conference team. A tough out, you know, it's not you're not going to walk in and just beat them handily. Same token, they're probably not going to boat race a few Southern Conference team. They'll be in almost every single basketball game, but they'll be a middle of the pack Southern Conference team, in my opinion, on the Paladins. To our point about Furman, you look at the last three years before 2018-19 and 2019-20, and they were 500 in the league, and then they went to 10 and four. Nine and five, eight and six, and now we're heading into um, obviously a season where they're going to, uh, I think, have to scrap and claw with a young group to try and get to that 500 mark and uh, push it up to eight and six, nine and five. But like you said, history is a little bit on their side. UNCG, they were 23 and nine last year, the only team to win more than 20 games in the league. They were up two in the title game with 2:30 to go, outscored seven nothing the rest of the way. They were 10 and four in the conference, shared that conference title, of course, with two other teams, lose the most amongst everyone in the league, I think. We talked about Nadine Solomon, uh, leading all-time scorer for the program, second-teamer and second-leading scorer, Tasia Twitty, who led the team in rebounding, also gone. Fourth-leading scorer, Alexis Willie, gone. Point guard, Alexis Pitchford, led the team in assists, gone. No returner, took more than 51 threes last year, so their shooters are gone, and their top returner, Aja Boyd, 40 blocks and 7.1 rebounds per game. Their third-leading scorer yet to play this year, dealing with an injury that's kept her out for the first six weeks of the season. That leaves Tori Powell and CeCe Crudup in the backcourt, the only two players to have started a game last year that are back this year outside of Boyd, and they're leading the Spartans in scoring, but scoring is something they are not doing a lot of. 330th of 335 Division I teams that qualify for the stat in scoring offense, just 44 points per game. They've scored more than 40 just four times in nine games. They struggled to score last year at times. They struggled last year. They're struggling this year. And of course, everything is magnified now this season without Solomon and Twitty, who graduated, and Boyd, who was injured. So you look at this moment, their top three options are either gone, literally, or gone uh, when it comes to still being around the program, but not on the court. Um, this is a team that I think is going to take a hard fall from grace, as we mentioned, already lost it to a Division two and a Division three team this year. They scored 37 points against North Carolina Wesleyan. 37. They're only averaging 47. No players in double figures. Five times 40 or less, 40 on the dot or less points this year. Defensively, you look at some numbers, not bad. I mean, in all honesty, they're giving up less than 60 points. You look at some of the things. But when you can't score more than 47 points a game and you lose to D2, D3, mentally, got to be shot. And, yes, I agree. This will probably be, if you go through the history books of the Southern Conference, this could be one of the greatest one-season drop from another that we've ever seen. Unless something magical happens, which I do, I, I'm guessing you don't either, see anything to turn it around. This could be a situation where they could go from a league champ situation to dead last, and Western Carolina finally gets off the schneid. If Aja Boyd can come back, and there's no reason right now to think that that will happen. Of course, I don't have medical information on her, can't read the file, but it doesn't seem like they're trending in the right direction in that way. If she's able to come back, I can see them scrapping out five or six wins. That's honestly about where I had them with Boyd. Without Boyd, I think you could be right. We'd be going from a conference co-champion and someone that appeared in the Southern Conference Tournament Championship and was right on the precipice of winning the conference championship and qualified for the NCAA Tournament to, I think, one or two wins. I mean, split with Western Carolina and then hope for the best and everything else. It is an ugly situation for Trina Patterson and company after uh, having just a really special group last year. Wofford, 15-15 and 15 last season, 8-6 and six in the league, lost to Furman, 68-54 to in the 4-5 game without Chloe Wanick, who was injured against ETSU late in the regular season. Just devastating to see that. She is gone, second-leading scorer in school history. Deja Green, we mentioned earlier, grad transfer to Virginia Tech. She was number one in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio and 12th in scoring, and she has a beautiful mid-range game. It's one of the funner things to watch during the 2019-20 season in the Southern Conference. Cairo Booker, second in steals and eighth in the league in assists last year. So the entire starting backcourt, Wanick, Green, Booker, all depart. Jamari McDavid and freshman of the year, Lily Hatton, are back. And Jackie Carmen, here's that name again. Jackie Carmen, seems like every time during Southern Conference basketball, when we talk women's basketball, we bring her up. Hadn't played since the beginning of the 2019 season after suffering, or I should say, 
since 2019, the beginning of the calendar year 2019, uh, hadn't played because of a knee injury. But she has started all seven games for the Terriers. Has been rusty, though, and being away from basketball that long, not able to be on the court in the way that you're used to, it's not a surprise. She likely would have been freshman of the year if not getting injured because of that hot shooting. But this year, shooting just 26% from the field, 15% from outside. Naya Lutz, Alexis Tomlin, Lauren Cook, Aaliyah Harris, all career subs are back. Tomlin, Cook, and Harris mostly coming off the bench while Lutz has moved into the starting lineup. Freshman Helen Matthews has taken up the other starting spot, but she missed this last game, and Harris moved into the starting lineup. This team has been healthy until Matthews. Same starting five, five of the first six games. They split those and then beat Erskine with Harris in the lineup. They're four and three. What they really need is more Carmen, and they need McDavid to be the force that she can be because neither have been what we're accustomed to seeing this year. McDavid's field goal percentage down seven and free throw percentage nearly cut in half from 70 to 40 this year, which is a strange happening. You don't usually see a regression like that from the free throw line. I will say uh, the interesting part about Wofford out of all the teams that we've looked at except for maybe Mercer, the games they that I would have looked at a schedule and go they should win, they've won. The three games I thought probably not going to win that, they didn't win that. So I really don't – this is probably the one team I don't have a good vibe on yet. Everything points to Wofford probably should take a step back from where they've been the last couple of years. And you look at some of the numbers, and they have taken step backs in certain categories, but the games are supposed to win, they won. The games they've lost – Close against Xavier, too. They, they've lost. So this is the one I honestly can't give you, like, I think they're going to finish here. I could see Wofford, if they continue to do some things, obviously get some uh, a couple player shooting numbers up, then certainly I could see them finishing in the upper third of the league. I, I do. I also could see them kind of living where they are. Numbers are going down. They get in league play. Certain things happen, injuries, everything else we've talked about. They are sort of what they are scoring-wise, and then they're sort of right around that 5-6 range. I think – 7-8 this year is going to be UNCG and Western Carolina. I think the way the league has gone, as we've seen, two through six have been separated by a game or two every year. This year I don't know that one is going to run away with everything, so I could argue that one through, unless Mercer or Chet really come out and do something special, and I'm not saying they can't, but if they do, then I still think two through six – is going to be within a game or two of one another. And I would almost argue that one through six could have about a three-game spread between them. So if you think that UNCG is seven, Western Carolina is eight, then you don't agree with the coaches or media that put ETSU seventh. I'm not sure you're going to agree with me where I put them third. There might be a middle ground there. I, I will never forget the moment that you walked into my office and you're like, oh, yeah, preseason Paul, age fill one out. I was like, yeah, uh, Chattanooga, Mercer, ETSU. And – Every time I said the next team, your eyebrows got higher and higher. They were almost not connected to your face when I got to ETSU at three because it was a difficult year for the Bucks. But they do have more back than a lot of these teams. And well, that's why and, I have And I'll say this. Proof. I had not seen Ja'Kai Davis play at all. Right. I had not seen Makai Dalyell At this point, play. I had seen these and, people in practice. Yes. And, and Jasmine. Now, I've seen Dalyell and Sanders in practice. But, you know, those are things when you're on a scout team, you're doing other things. Those not, it's not the same. Right. It's just not because – you're not in a flow with the actual what the team's doing. You're trying to mimic the other team. You're doing other things. That being said, once I, in fairness, once we did our preview show brought to you by Johnson and Honda, I did look at you and you go, did. I said, you're not crazy. You did. I said, I feel like ETSU could be the, the third best team in this league. And the truth is what I just said a second ago. The middle of the league is so just a game or two could put you in sixth or second. It's incredible. So I don't think you're crazy with ETSU at Three, especially if Elise Stafford and Shania Jackson start to turn some things around or Courtney Moore gets back and can knock down a few shots, I absolutely feel like the firepower is there for ETSU to give Mercer and Chattanooga a run for the money because I'm going to say Chat and Mercer one and two. Right. I think three through six is still sort of flip a quarter. I would put ETSU in third or fourth right now if, you, if I was to handicap what has gone on. And I know some people are probably like, well, you just crush people for not a lot of non-conference wins. I'm just once they get into league play, I'm, I'm just telling you, I think ETSU is going to be right there battling and could be a, as high as second. I don't want. I'm not going to say 
league champs fighting yet. If Stafford, Shania, Moore all start to put up numbers with everybody else putting up numbers, yes, I think there's a real possibility that could happen. I'm still very impressed right now with Chattanooga and Mercer. I think those are pretty clear cut, but I think third, I mean, you look at what Brittany Azell has done over her time here, six years in the Southern Conference, and five of those six, she has finished in the top four with a record above 500. Of course, last year is the one outlier because things just from the start uh, after that Tennessee game seemed to just go completely upside down with Erica Haynes-Overton's injury, then transfer, and she was the centerpiece of that team, right? And it was tough for everyone to recover. If you're not as familiar with ETSU, because I know there's just some Southern Conference fans that tune into this segment and they see it and they want to hear the breakdown and everything, if you don't listen to us every single day on Santos and the Sidekick, here's what we're talking about. So the Bucks, six returners, four starters, the other two did not play while redshirting, those being Jasmine Sanders and Micaiah Dowdell. Seven newcomers, uh, two transfers, and five freshmen as the roster makeup. Three of the top four active scorers back. So, of course, Micah Sheets gone. She transferred to Butler. Erica Haynes-Overton gone, but she wasn't active for the conference season last year. Only Stafford, Shania Jackson, and Kaya Upton, three of those top four active scorers that are back. Um, Amaya Adams has probably been the best of the four so far. Uh, Kaya Upton, Shania Jackson, Lee Stafford have not been what they were last year to this point, but let's remember they played their best basketball in the Southern Conference. Uh, six foot three, Ty Kimbrough is gone. Five of the bottom six scores are gone from last year, so the depth is something that ETSU maybe didn't carry into this year if you just looked at who is back. But then you look at who's on the roster this year, and I think this team is much deeper than it was last year or the year prior. Uh, the New Year's Eve matchup with Newberry won ETSU's way, so they're 2-5. and five. Offense has been an issue, and I think you're right, Jay. The big thing is, can Jackson and Stafford return to what they have been in league play in the past, specifically last year, because they really didn't play much freshman year? I don't think that it could have been an aberration that they were so good last year in the league. Shania Jackson was top five in free throw percentage and field goal percentage. Elise Stafford led the league in three-point percentage. You can't go for 14 full games and just have it all be a fluke. There's no way to me that's possible. That was their first full year playing extensively, and they were very good. So perhaps they're going to find a rhythm, feel more comfortable now that they'll recognize the opponent across from them. There's some tendencies now they know with these teams as well, and maybe this is just where they turn it on. I tend to think third or fourth right now, um, but we know Micaiah Dowdell. We know Ja'Kiah Davis now. We know what Jasmine Sanders can do. She's not as reliable on a game-by-game basis as Dowdell or Davis, and that's what the Bucks need right now is the reliability outside of Davis and Dowdell to have that third, fourth, fifth scores, people that you can count on, whether it's Chattanooga, Western Carolina, anything in between. I think your point about looking across the battlefield, if you will, and seeing things that you've had success against, I'm hoping is what they see and will be able to get some numbers going. I think it was good that at least Stafford, the last game, saw a couple balls go through the hoop, as Coach Ezell said. I think Shania Jackson was, we've mentioned it many times, unbelievable in the second half of the year, specifically conference play and getting uh, you know more minutes, more points, especially when she plays against the Mercer Bears, which is a, a de facto hometown uh, team for her. Absolutely. So uh, I feel like if, again, those two ladies can, can kind of get going. Honestly, Kyle Upton hasn't really been going this year. I really feel like Courtney Moore eventually is going to see the ball go down. She's going to get confidence. Of course, she's got to get back on the floor, still recovering from that concussion. But I really feel like the pieces are there that ETSU's women's team can make a run to the title. That being said, those ladies are going to have to knock down shots because I just feel like I think Mikhail Dowdell is going to be there all season. I think Ja'Kai Davis is a freshman, and there's some games she's going to look great. There's some games that she's not. I think Carly Hooks will be the same way. I think conference play is different, and I think those ladies will figure out real quick sort of how it goes. And when you play your rivalry game off the bat, I think they'll be indoctrinated very quickly. And I think we'll learn a lot about both teams, what Chattanooga is going to be, their home first home game conference season, what ETSU is going to be. Again, we'll get into that a little bit more later. i got some strong thoughts on that as well. But I feel like ETSU – they get those ladies helping out scoring. It's going to be a very good year for the Bucks. Last one, Western Carolina, 5-25, and 2-12 and in the league last year. Lost in the first round to one seed Sanford, 77-62. The last time they were above 500 overall was the 2008-09 season and the SoCon championship year that they had. That was a different lifetime for the Catamounts. Four- and their head coach is now at Tennessee. Correct. So, right. 14, and so we know what the 
big advantage they had there was and why that season was the way it was. Uh, she's been great literally everywhere um, that she's gone. Uh, 14 combined wins the last three years for Western Carolina. Mentioned Newberry with ETSU beating them in their last game. Newberry is the only win that Western Carolina has uh, as of going into this week. Uh, of course, they did get their non-division one win over Piedmont. Uh, they lost Jewel Smalls, freshman of the year two seasons ago, to the transfer portal. She ends up at Delaware State, a huge, huge loss. Can't overstate that enough. Judith Martin Ruiz graduated. Andrea Martin Ruiz is back, the more offensively gifted of the two sisters. Lauren LaPlante, second leading scorer. She is back, but after being named preseason All-League, has been disappointing so far, quite honestly, this year, shooting just 28% from the field and from three. Alyssa Walker, all-freshman team with Andrea Martin-Ruiz last year, also back. The big question for Kylie Hill was, how do you replace your leading scorer and rebounder from a team that scored 55 points per game and do so being competitive this year? I mean, it's just difficult to imagine how they're going to take the steps forward that they need to to not be at the bottom of this conference when your most dynamic player leaves and you don't appear to bring in a ton to replace her. He hopes that it's kind of by committee, I would assume, because I don't think there's anyone as talented as Smalls on this roster. But how can you be competitive when that is your main offseason happening? He has tried. MTSU transfer Kyla Allison and freshman Zenoria Cruz are the pair for the Catamounts that are averaging in double figures. And Timber Motes has picked up where she left off last year, but it just has not been enough so far. All but one of their seven losses have been by ten or more. They haven't won a Division One game, right? They're, they're, they're correct. 2-0 and in the non-division. So they've got a slight advantage over UNCG because they've at least beaten the uh, – they haven't lost all their non-division one games. So, I, I mean, I want to say nice things. I just it, – it's just – it's hard. Kylie Hill's a nice guy. And he is. He, I don't think, is a bad coach. But he is at such a disadvantage because of, as we talked They were about, so history. far behind. But they were so yes, far correct. behind and – you know, it's popular in basketball and sports to say culture, and it's a thing, though. You have to get some pieces. You have to kind of roll through some of that, bring in some of your own. You've got to get them to believe. You've got to get them to turn a corner. Now, the good news, again, for Western Carolina, you know, they were in some games last year. They were. A couple years ago they were in some games. They haven't been able to get over the hump. Can they get in their first games at UNCG? So if they are able to get their first win under their belt, can they get that to pick up, you know, three or four wins? And a lot of people are like, why would you celebrate three or four wins? Well, if you go back to what they've been for the last couple years, you get three or four wins, and then you're able to bring a bunch of people back. I think it's going to be unbelievable for what they can It's to your point. Kelly Harper does what she does, goes on to great success, now is at the winningest program in the history of college basketball. That was a decade-plus ago. So you're fighting since then against about a decade, if you're Kylie Hill, of bad, bad seasons. And how do you walk into a young woman's home, tell her parents, tell her, look, we're building something, when you haven't shown that? So three or four wins, to your point, you can see some foundational blocks fall into place. If you don't get that, you're never going to get out of the gutter. So three or four would be huge for this team this year, I think. And, you know, if you look at some of their scores, I mean, yes, it hasn't resulted in some Division I wins, but there's some tight games against Division One teams. Similar type opponents. Tennessee Tech's not particularly good in the OVC. Um, Georgia, uh, Georgia State's not particularly good. Um, you know, UNCA's generally not real good. So, They've been right there. They certainly got to figure out how to turn a corner. I think game one's important for them. I think if they could beat UNCG, I think that could be something to start to turn. And they, it's just hard when you've been so down for so long to turn the battleship, right? You know how long it is to turn that thing in the middle of an ocean. I think that's what Western Carolina's up against. And I really hope because I think they've got to be pot committed. This isn't. One of those were like, okay, three bad years and you're gone. You've really got to give, I think, almost five. If you really want to turn something around, I think they've got to give them five years. I think they've got to, you know, this is year two, right, if I'm not mistaken. So if you can give him a couple of more years, I think you can start to see some things go. So I think they're going to be bad than UNCG for the 7-8. I, I, I don't think there's a world – that I see right this second that you and uh, that Western Carolina can pull into a, a six or a five or something like that. That being said, if they get game one, I certainly could see them picking up three or four wins this year. And again, I know that's like, oof, that sounds weird to say, 
and, and to, to celebrate that, but absolutely the last couple of years it would be worth celebrating. And let's look at a coaching progression. When do you want to see things really start to hit on all cylinders? You can't expect that before year three. I'm talking about hitting on all cylinders. You expect some progress, right, in that second year from the first year. It wasn't a good first year for Kylie Hill. Expect some progress this year, three, four, five wins in the conference, and then you can start to sell the program a little bit more and not just be bold-faced lying to people's faces about what you're building if you can show it in the wins and losses and say, look, you know, I'm starting to get my culture in here. I'm starting to get my players in here. They're starting to buy in. You could see it last year with the three, four, five wins after he won two games the year prior. That year three is huge for him. This is year two. He's still got a little bit of leeway. So four or five wins, that's huge. That is big just because of where he is in his coaching maturation at Western. The last time they won four or more games in the league, 2013-14. They've had two three-win years during that stretch. But you're, you're talking about it, it's it's rolling up close to seven, eight years since they've had that much success. That's why I think game one against UNCG is important because if they get that and they can get to four wins, yes, for most programs you would not be happy with that. But I think if Western could get to four wins this year, I think that would be tremendous for what they could do moving forward in Coach Hill turning the battleship there in Cullowin. This has been Great Johnson City Edition, 40 full minutes on Southern Conference Women's Basketball. Santos and the sidekick. You just wanted to play that for no reason. All right, we'll come back, and you can probably play it again because we're going to break down ETSU Chattanooga. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Great job. Okay, I'll stop. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Great job. Okay, bye. I'm just looking at you to make sure you're not hitting the button again. All right. I think I, think I can start I can, this. If you can, no, 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 I just want to start this. Can I start? Okay. Oh, I like that. A little hit. Let it breathe, baby. Let it breathe. All right, ETSU Chattanooga. I don't know if an ETSU versus Chattanooga. Is there anything? I doubt it. I don't, I don't think. I really don't. It really could be any sport, any time, any place. Anything. Anything. If, if there was somehow a club darts or a club whatever <laughs> – I would go watch it and pull for ETSU to win and, and win by a lot. What if there was, like, a club dog show? Like yeah. Westminster, except Tennessee edition. They meet, like, in Knoxville or something, and mm-hmm. there's just a Is a it ETSU versus Chattanooga in oh, any yeah. form? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Dogs of Chattanooga, yeah. dogs of ETSU. Yeah. If, if, even if it wasn't head-to-head, I would just say, could, could ETSU's dogs finish ahead of Chattanooga's dogs? Dog race would be more fun. Although I'd Ooh, that would be little greyhounds yeah. and stuff. Yeah, sure. Okay. I don't know if it's inhumane or not. I don't think. I I'm think not sure. Is it inhumane? Okay, all right. No dog races. Okay. We won't. We won't pull for inhumane stuff. How's that? EGSU versus uh, Chattanooga, the mocks. And we want to start with the mocks because we 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 did a little bit of breakdown. So let's just stick with them first. I think I did a little bit of what? Okay. Go. Yeah, I know you're gonna do that. I actually should have paused. I knew that was coming. And I think obviously we talked Chattanooga. You got to start with Ebony Williams, and it feels like she's been there a decade. But this is like year three, right? This is only third year. I think she's just a junior. That's incredible. She's averaged 18.9 rebounds in the four games versus ETSU. She's had two monster, monster games. She had a 17-11. That was her freshman year in the roundhouse. And then last year in Brooks Gym, it was like 25-16. and 16. She's also had games where she's went for 10-4 and 12-4, and 12 and 4, which is respectable. But for her, definitely below her numbers of her career, of the seasons, of everything else. So I think, number one, 
can they not let Ebony Williams have a monster game? Now, Chattanooga has a couple other ladies that can score, but I think certainly it's more difficult if Ebony Williams throws a 25-16 and 16 on the board than if you can keep her to like a 12-5 and five game. So, to me, I think number one thing for ETSU women's basketball on the road is to not let Ebony Williams in the first quarter get three or four easy baskets. She is an absolute problem, as have players that are similar to her skill set been for ETSU over the last number of years. Tasia Twitty of UNCG comes to mind. Jamari McDavid from Wofford. Earlier this year, you even look at Akilah Smith from Longwood. That first quarter, she was massive. She got like eight rebounds and six of them were offensive, and the Bucks were really hurting after that first quarter. When they started to shut her down is when they started to have success, work their way back into the ballgame, ultimately win 62-56. to 56. Those long, athletic forwards that can jump quick, right? They're, they're not the one-jumpers where they can load up and get like 30, 40 inches off the ground and then they can't jump anymore. It's one, two, three. She misses, she'll go back up again. She'll go and try and get her own rebound, and she'll probably get it because she's going to be above where you are and she's still got juice left in the legs to get up again if she happens to miss again. She had 25 last year, uh, her season high against ETSU. The Bucks have just not been equipped to stop those type of players. From what I hear, they're going to try something different tomorrow, and I think it's a great idea, right? If you don't want to have the same result happen, then go outside the box and do what you have to do and what you think is going to work to get it done. Because if Ebony Williams gets going early on, She's having her best year, and there's no stopping her if she does start the way that Akilah Smith did. So there's, it's a one-two punch, and it certainly starts with Ebony Williams. Bria Dow last year in two games versus ETSU averaged 20 points. She had a 21 and a 19-point outburst. That's number two. Uh, I, and again, I'm not sure the way Ebony's playing that you stop her, and I certainly don't think 12 points, 14 points is stopping her. I think you just can't let her go for 25. I don't think you can let her dominate the glass with 16 rebounds. I think Bria Dial, her first couple years versus ETSU, I think the most points she had in the game was seven. Now, clearly last year she made a huge jump, got more playing time. That happens, right? Uh, Natural progression, freshman, sophomore, get to that junior year, starting to play more, you know, nine starts this year, a 12-points game, 3.8 rebounds. I think ETSU, again, has an opportunity to stop her. But where – you can't leave Dial open from the outside. I'm not opposed to letting Williams sit out there and think she's a three-point shooter and let her fire out there and, and prove you wrong. Absolutely, because you have a couple of shooters in Chattanooga, and, and Bria Dial is definitely one of them, and that's kind of out of nowhere, right? She was taking a lot of threes the last couple of years, but she has progressed throughout her career in a number of different areas, and this has been one of them. Shot 25% her first year, 29 then 30 and now 39%, and she's taking about as many threes as she did the previous two years when she only hit 29 and 48 out of 102 and 164, respectively. She's already hit 22 this year, and she's not even their best three-point shooter. It's Dina Gerald's. Chattanooga's top 25 nationally in three-pointers made, and ETSU has not defended the three-point line well, specifically and surprisingly against Newberry, who went 10 of 22 from outside. You can't have a Division II squad come into your building and make double-digit threes that's just not something that's going to be acceptable for any head coach, certainly a Brittany Azell coach team. So they need to improve in that area because you're absolutely right. 15 feet and in, Ebony Williams, you have to stop her. 18 feet and out, and if you want to go back to the three-point line, 20 feet and out, it has to be Bria Dial and Dina Gerald because Gerald's is someone else that has made some strides. She's not going to be that 15, 20, 25 points per game score she's probably not even going to do that uh, more than maybe once or twice this year but if you let her get three or four uh, threes and get rolling and you let her have one or two of those games right 15 20 25 one of those comes against you that is a game changer you have to make sure to have a hand in the face of Gerald's of dial and honestly when Ebony Williams gets the ball at the free throw line because that's where she loves to operate right in the middle of a zone or just isoing off the dribble and man-to-man you have to flood bodies to her because I'm not sure there's one player that's going to be able to stop Ebony Williams. So I think your scouting report is perfect so far. Keep her rolling because you're on fire right now. Well, I, I think all right, it starts with those two ladies. I think you look at the rest of the squad for Chattanooga, and I think they do a great job of playing their roles. Obviously, Abby Cornelius is good on the board. She leads the team in rebounding, leads the team in block shots, just like a post player you would assume, shooting over 50% from the floor. Great free throw shooter, 67%. Oh, great, good free throw shooter, 
And then from there, I think the rest are, are role players that it can get you four to eight to ten points, and some can throw double digits on the board. Some can just do what they're supposed to do. But, you know, it's basically a big three for Chattanooga and role players. But when you look across the board and look at their games and their scores, their role players, know, you know, it doesn't look like anybody does what they're not supposed to. You don't have somebody taking 12 shots. It's not supposed to be taking 12 shots, right? You don't have the point guards with massive turnovers and things that you would assume. Matter of fact, the point guard has more assists than turnovers. Uh, they have a pew on the roster, which if you know anything about Chattanooga and the history of Chattanooga, they have a long line of pews in basketball, whether men's or women's. So I'm not sure. I tried to look up, didn't see a relative that I recognized, but it could be cousins or somebody. They just seem to be a lot of pews that have gone with Chattanooga and the history of their I think they've done a nice job with the roster. I think they've got two guards, uh, one being Pule and uh, Olaf Stotter. Olaf Stotter. Right, Olaf Stotter. Uh, she has been phenomenal in what she's been able to come in and do, 86% free throw shooter, 32 assists. She does have 20 turnovers, but more assists than that. Um, seven steals on the season. I think you look at Pew, she's got 15 assists on the season, seven steals. The only problem with her is free throw shooting, 44%. And she's interesting because she played – at a couple lower division or played at a lower division, then went JUCO and now uh, is on the roster. And again, I think because she's a Pew, that helps get on the roster at least when you're talking about Chattanooga. Neither one of those ladies particularly great from outside, but again, it seems like they do a good job of complementing Cornelius Dion Williams, which is really what happens. If ETSU could get maybe one of those three ladies in foul trouble, maybe be able to frustrate some of the guards, I think that's maybe the formula for ETSU. Olofstadter is an interesting case because she played at the highest levels in Iceland, and now I'm not very familiar with where Iceland falls in in the world stage of women's basketball. I don't know in women. I know in the men's basketball, it's one of the better professional men's leagues, and I think when you have professional leagues that are highly regarded, I think that gets the game out, and so it wouldn't shock me if that isn't a very good women's basketball area. So she played for Haukar, which is in the top division of Icelandic professional basketball and won the championship there. She's also played nationally on the U15, 16, 18, and senior national team. So the national team she has played. And you can see why, because bringing in a point guard like her, and again, I mean, it's going to vary from country to country where the leagues within the country fall, and it's going to vary from country to country how competitive you are on the world stage versus what basketball you're playing there and where it matches up with collegiate basketball at the Division One level in the United States. But certainly you look at the 32-28 to 28 assisted turnover, and if you're more familiar with men's basketball, you're going to say, well, I mean, that's barely, you know, barely to the plus side. But I think last year there were only two players in the Southern Conference that finished plus an assist-to-turnover ratio. So that is no small feat to be plus. She's 3.6 assists per game, 2.7 rebounds per game. She's running the point as a freshman, and she can do that and step in right away because she has such deep experience at the international level and in her home country of Iceland. I think this will also come down to turnovers. It's three-point shooting and defending that three-point line for ETSU. And turnovers, the Bucks are 18th in takeaways per game. Chattanooga, this is the one thing that they really do not do well they give the ball away a lot, 310th in the country in terms of turnovers out of 327 ranked teams, qualifying teams in that category, 21.6 turnovers per game. They're dead last in terms of total turnovers in the nation. That per game number just a little bit lower because they have played nine games. A lot of other teams have played six or seven. And to back you up, Olaf Stoddard is actually sixth in the Southern Conference in assisted turnover ratio. And, again, we mentioned the 32-28, so, I mean, she's – just knocking on the door. She's a percentage point uh, behind Fern. Without her, just imagine where Chattanooga would be in terms of the turnover game. I mean, it would be a completely horrific disaster, and they might not even be in a lot of these games because you don't have the point guard with a steady hand to run and captain the offense. So I think it comes down to turnovers. I think it comes down to defending the three-point line. I think this is just going to be another close game. You know, Chattanooga beat ETSU ten times in a row, and now over the last six, they've won three and lost three. This rivalry is starting to ramp back up. These teams are closer in skill and results than I think ever before. Uh, I think the Bucks have outscored Chattanooga in those six matchups, 404 to 403. So the slimmest of margins, right? I mean, they have been essentially the same program in terms of head-to-head and results in the conference over the last three years, and it just reflects in the total score between the two. 
I think the other thing ETSU is very good at is they're second in the league in offensive rebounds, and they're going to go up against maybe the best or second best rebounding team overall, but specifically defensive rebounding. And I think if you were to pick a, besides having a few extra players for ETSU, and we've already mentioned that in the preview, but if you just tune into this portion of the show, we've talked a lot about Elite Stafford. We've talked a lot about Shania Jackson. If both those ladies can help and get a few extra buckets to go in and ETSU can get to 70, then I think certainly that makes things a little easier for ETSU. But I think if they can score, but certainly the Bucks on the rebounding side because we've seen Makai Dell. We know now Ja'Kai Davis can do it. I think Elise and um, Shania both can do it. But I also think Jasmine Sanders can go in there and snake a few offensive rebounds. And ETSU's been very good in converting in some of those second-chance opportunities. I think that's an opportunity when you go on the road – if you can limit your turnovers, Chattanooga's giving the ball away like candy. Take the turnovers when given. Try to capitalize points off turnovers and second-chance points. Those miscellaneous categories right there is how a road team can beat a very good home team. Would you like to mix in your obligatory pump-up Chattanooga for the reverse psychology before we're done? Yes, I would. I don't know if you've paid attention to Chattanooga the last 30 years, but they are the <laughs> greatest team um, in the Southern Conference. They have been the uh, cream of the crop of the Southern Conference. There's not even comparison. Anybody that thinks that they're not the greatest team of all time is just kidding themselves. Chattanooga, clearly the greatest team ever assembled in women's basketball. <laughs> Does that help? Well done. Okay. I do, I do what I can to get a win. Do what I can to get a win. Just wait to hear my bold prediction, though. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> bold prediction after this timeout. Santa's sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. Calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. Lake Forest. L-O-L. Steve Forbes most certainly will be back in the blue and gold. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. 30 crunches a day. Can we? Wrong would have done just fine. Can we celebrate? Hold on, i got to pull it up. i got it on my phone. I've been keeping track. I am right now. 30 pounds down during quarantine at 30 crunches a day. 0.3 pounds down. The revenge tour. 250 Ooh, no, point three no, pounds no, no, no. down? Hold on, hold on, hold on. 300 crunches so far in January. Ooh. Boom. Okay, so you're point three pounds down. So you're losing a tenth of a pound per 100 crunches. So if you do 10,000 mm-hmm. during the year, mm-hmm. as is your mm-hmm. New Year's resolution from yes, the show that on Monday, I believe that's 10 pounds. You'll be down. There we go. Which is, I don't know if that's encouraging or lackluster for you. I, I don't know what your goal is, but well, I My goal was never 30. Your goal, for, <laughs> your goal for me was 30. <laughs> that was when we had the bright idea to make up one for each other. Uh, those hey. were fun, though. I wish we would have done that again this year. Maybe next year. My yeah. New Year's uh, resolution for next year. Come up with even more ridiculous New Year's resolutions for you. Bold predictions. Yep. Love it. You've got three right. I've got two right. Who's going first? And you are this time. Okay. I'm going to go women's basketball. Shania and Elise combined for a season high. So those two in a game have scored 16 points as their season high this year. Combined, again. So Shania and Elise, 16 combined points has been their season high. They have scored double digits combined just two times in seven games. They're going to go for 17 or more combined against Chattanooga. Shania and Elise, they are going to feast on the box in the Southern Conference as they did last year. I guess I'll piggyback that somewhat and the fact that I believe that will lead to a double-digit win. Whoa, buddy! Double-digit win. And I'm trying to look up the last double-digit win on the road, and I'm having a hard time looking. Oh, there it is. 2010. 2010. 77 to 60. The only one this millennium that they have won on the road by double digits. That is bold. Go. Now we're getting 
getting into some boldness. Boom. And you might as well forget about everything that Jay Sando said in his breakdown of women's basketball because I think that flies in the face of most of it. Now, you did say they had a chance to finish second or third. So, I mean, what a way to start out the conference season, make a statement, make an impact. And it's rivalry, right? It is a rivalry. Things happen in rivalry games. And, and that is what you need. Like, I just would love to have something shocking happen in favor of the Bucks, obviously, in this rivalry game so we can, again, accentuate and gas up the fact that the rivalry is back. No game on Wild Card Weekend in the NFL will be separated by more than eight points. No games will be multi-score games. One score across the board, and that's not only bold, in a normal year, we've got six wild. This is Super Wild Card Weekend. We've got two more wild card games. I'm saying all of them will be by eight points or less. Super Wild Card Weekend will live up to its name. It will be the best wild card weekend yet. Eight like points it. or less. Wild Card Weekend. I like it. I like it. Super Wild Card. I got a good one. Women's basketball. Again, doubling down on uh, ETSU women's basketball. All four road teams. W's. That means I'm taking Furman over Wofford. ETSU over Chat. Mercer over Sanford, but that also means Western Carolina wow. on the road wow. at UNCG. And the road teams make it 4-0. Let me see if I can uh, keep talking for a second. I want to add up the combined away record in the Southern Conference. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be bad. Uh, I think, obviously, Mercer over Sanford is the easiest one that could happen. I would argue Furman-Wofford probably would be the second. ETSU third, if you were listing and not you know, there, there are some handicapped odds in women's basketball you probably could find, but I would assume Mercer would be a favorite at Sanford. Wofford, if they're an underdog, wouldn't be by much. I'm assuming Chet would be more of a favorite over ETSU. I don't know what in the world they would do with UNCG and Western. Western, I guess, technically, I, my guess is they would put UNCG the obligatory, like, two- or three-point favorite in basketball, just being at home. The only common opponent they have was Elon and – UNCG on the road lost by 18, and Western at home lost by 15. Mm. So I'm guessing just a couple of points UNCG would be favored in that. So it would be, I think, three dogs, although two of them maybe not big dogs. And in all honesty, I think ETSU might be the one that would have the the largest spread uh, for a road team because I think clearly Mercer would be favored over Sanford. I would like to point out that – Southern Conference teams on the road are 10 and 26. And the bottom four are a combined 1 and 17. And in that bottom four are Sanford, ETSU, and Western Carolina. And you know what? That's why it's bold. Conference season is here, and the worm has turned. There we go. Uh, you heard in the intro for this segment that Jay Sandoz gave the LOL to Steve Forbes going to Wake Forest. LOL no more. LOL no more, Jay Sandoz. Steve Forbes and Wake Forest go to Cameron Indoor Stadium and win (laughs) for Forbes' first ACC win in his head coaching career. Duke won against BC by just one. That was at home. They didn't have Coach K, who will be back this Saturday. And and Wake Wake rebound, right, from the Georgia Tech loss to give uh, Virginia fits. They gave him a scare. And Duke is going to be a bit scared themselves on Saturday. They're going to be rusty because Coach K was out. They tried to adjust, didn't really work. Now Coach K, who's had all of the different quotes in the media about even playing this year, I'm not sure his heart's in it. The team under his direction, I think, is going to scuffle. And no teams of Steve Forbes scuffle. And they will go into Cameron Indoor and get a thunderous, (laughs) thunderous, thunderous victory over Duke. That would be a huge win. It is bold. I'm actually shocked you didn't go with a uh, national championship game. Isn't that, that Monday coming up? I thought you'd go with the national championship game. Anyways, you're a college care. football game. All right, I don't care. <laughs> I, okay. to, to be honest, I could care less. Just um, care <laughs> the real college football season starts, uh, you know, mid-February when that's uh, right, Mount, baby. Missouri Valley and all them start kicking it off in the Southern Conference very next February week, 20th. So. Count down the days. How many days do we have? The Four real three? champions, where you settle it on the field, ladies and gentlemen. The real champion will be crowned there in uh, first weekend in May. And it will be still, I believe, in Fresco, te- uh, Texas. Fresco? Fr- Frisco? Fr- Fr- Frasco? Frisco? Is that it? Frasco? Whatever. Frisco. All right, let's go to my last one. I, and I think you're going to enjoy this men's basketball take. I think you are. Yep, yep. VMI. Yep. In Timmins Arena. Oh. W. Whoa. You know, I'm on the VMI train. You, Me and Danny Earl. No, no, hold on. I get on the VMI train more than any yes, other bit. I need to go back. I think it was two years, and you picked VMI of all predictions like eight weeks in a row and never won no, one. No, no, And here's what's funny. The last week I didn't take them, they pulled the major upset. You remember that? 
They pulled the major uh, upset. You are helpless when it comes to VMI. Why do you have the VMI blind spot? I get the ETSU blind spot sometimes. What VMI? Just military. Okay, well, yeah. I can't blame you then. All right. Wow. I mean, that I, is bold. I mean, I, I, I could go. I could go. I could go. Citadel would win again, and it'd be, I think, one of the long. I don't know what the line is. It's got to be like 13. Yeah, it's got to be high. It's got to be double digits. I That's think. why it's bold. I mean, it is very bold. We have these may be our boldest predictions yet. Uh, I'm gonna have to make sure to cut this segment out and save it for all of the times where our bold predictions are bad and put them up against this weekend to see if they've been more bold and perhaps. Yeah, unfortunately, and we like more to put a bad. disclaimer. Please uh, don't take any of this seriously. Uh, and if you do, you've got problems do not, because we've given you our record for like three years. It's just do, horrific. Do not bring these predictions into your everyday life. Leave them on the airways. All right, we'll be back Monday. We'll recap the ETSU win by double digits on the road at Chattanooga. Samuelson, the sidekick, Buccaneer. Of course, that worked. Cowboy up, go play ball.